Welcome to the Leadership in Yoga podcast hosted by me, Shauna Kruger. And on this podcast, I'll be bringing you interviews with exceptional leaders in the yoga world alongside trainings and tips so you can experience true breakthroughs and help others do the same. Welcome into the Leadership in Yoga world. If you are new here, welcome back. If you're not, I'm always happy to share this time with you and have a little bit of off the mat chat. And also welcome into the yoga world. If you are newer to your yoga practice and that's perfect for today's topic. Today's topic in short is going to be quite literally what the title says. You know, um, it's idea of, okay, I started my yoga practice. I went to my first class and now what? How do I get further in my practice? How do I get hooked on yoga? How do I experience aspects of yoga that I hear everybody talking about, but I, I don't really know where to go from here? And even if you aren't new to your yoga practice, maybe you're a fellow teacher like myself, I think that today's conversation is going to be very helpful for you when you in turn are having those sort of development conversations with friends, with family, with your students. And It'll also just be helpful if you are getting started on a new project in general. It might be an aspect within your yoga practice like handstanding or something of that nature. And of course, if we get to the end of this episode and you hear all the tips that I have for beginners and getting started in your yoga practice and there's something that I'm missing or there's something else that you want to add, please drop it in the comments and I'll be happy to include that in the next round of this episode structured towards beginners. Let's quickly go through the agenda before we get into the rest of the show so that way you know what to expect because I think that's always nice. When I was mapping out what uh, I wanted to talk about in the different sections, I realized that there were a perfect 10 different sections here. So this is what you're in for. We're going to start off with what is yoga? We'll move on to discussing how there's always difficulty in the beginning and how to deal with that. We'll talk about keeping it simple, a couple practical notes as well, just for literal taking of a class in a studio, because I know that that can be an overwhelming thing. And it always feels like everybody knows exactly what they're doing and how to walk in there and set up and take off your socks and like grab these props and this and that. And should I bring my water bottle by my mat and all that? I want to talk all about that, especially about the water topic, by the way. So if you're not sure about the water topic or why actually during my class, I don't ever cue for people to, you know, go and actually take a drink of water. Um, it's not that I'm anti-water. So if you want to, you want to hear about that, stay tuned. But, um, after the practical notes, I'll talk about how yoga is a ritual and how you can find joy just for the sake of doing the yoga itself. We'll discuss when you might start to experience the effects, yes, the effects of yoga, energy shifts. Uh, we'll talk about keeping and treating your time that you're practicing yoga as sacred time. Finally, the last two little items here on our list will be the different styles of yoga. So if you've ever looked and been a little bit confused by what the different listings and offerings are on class schedules, we're going to go over about actually about 10 of them, which I think are pretty much the most common class that you'll see. You probably will always see vinyasa, but I ask people a lot if they've done ashtanga and a lot of folks don't know what ashtanga is. So I want to go even a little bit further than that, talk about Hatha, talk about Iyengar and all that good stuff. And finally, I want to give my two cents on teacher training because 
even though you might not intend to teach, I think that a lot of times as we progress on our path, the natural place to turn is eventually towards a teacher training. So I want to give you all of my insight, all of my recommendations and things to keep in mind, things that I wish I would have known because you might know this, but I've actually taken two teacher trainings or uh, three or four if you count other side trainings, but two 200-hour trainings and really ended up kind of retaking my first 200-hour because I wasn't super pleased with the first decision I made. So that's where we're going today. And before we actually just jump right in with that list, I wanted to discuss a little something that you may have seen on Instagram if you follow me on Instagram. It was a reel that I shared and it was about a fun fact of a time of immense failure for me. It wasn't really that big of a deal, but it was a big deal for me in the moment. And so in the reel, when you look and you see how it starts off and I'm sitting in front of this window on a yoga mat, and that was actually where I was living at the time. It was this beautiful apartment in Bremerton. Bremerton is outside the city of Seattle. And I missed that view from that window every day. I've absolutely adored being able to, you know, wake up and have the privilege of that, that beautiful view. But that is where I did all of my quote unquote getting serious with yoga really and getting prepared to teach my first class. And I was so terrified and so afraid of teaching my first yoga class, y'all. I've had so many conversations with people recently about this exact thing, which is that it's so hard to know when you're ready. And it's there's so much resistance often to standing up in front of the room and and teaching your class because you know what you like as a student and you want to deliver fully for people. And so anyways, what happened is that I ended up failing my first audition at a studio uh, after I finished my yoga teacher training. And I'm laughing now, but at the time I did not think it was funny. Uh, It really stressed me out because I wanted so badly for this first class to be perfect because yoga meant so much for me. I, or meant so much to me, I should say. And I had spent at that point, you know, six or seven years really involved in the, the practice of yoga. And it was just like, how do you put all of that into one class? And I ended up totally missing the point, right? Um, I didn't understand that this phrase of I want to succeed and I want to do something extraordinary cannot coexist with the phrase of I never want to fail and I never want to look like a fool. And so my shaky nerves and this feeling of I'm going to puke or I'm going to throw up, I'm going to pass out or something was really due to the lack of understanding of this fact. And I was trying to be ready for something and comfortable around something that I had never experienced before. And that's just not possible. I didn't need to prepare anymore. You know, I had memorized my sequence and there was nothing really wrong with the class. It's just that the studio owner wanted to see what I could do again if I reworked it and kind of settled down a little bit. And um, at the end of the day, you know, I don't count it as a full failure because I kept teaching. Everything was on paper fine, but of course there's so much of an energetic element to a yoga class. There's so much of the element of flow that it just didn't quite, it, it didn't, it didn't hit, you know, it didn't land. Um, it didn't land the way that I intended it to land. And so anyways, 
all I'm trying to say here is that you really need to get into the water in order to learn how to swim. And this goes for teaching. This also goes, you know, if you're listening and you're nowhere near teaching yet, it's it's the getting on your mat and the practicing and learning the practice. And hopefully you do have a coach or you have somebody to watch. And even if they're not holding your hand, which I hope that they're not, I hope that you learn it on your own, but having somebody to look at, to learn from and see, okay, hey, this does work or hey, this isn't working as well. And to call you out on what you're doing well and also to help you see the things that you're missing. And that's really the definition of a coach that I like and what got me involved in the coaching world to start with was this definition of a coach, which is that a coach helps you see the things in yourself that you sometimes don't want to see so that you can be the person, be the teacher, be the practitioner that you've always wanted to be. It's incredibly helpful. There's something that is inside of us. I believe this that could bloom at any moment. I mean, it could bloom it could bloom right now if you want it to. And it's so powerful that it causes people to step up who have never, ever stepped up before. And it's not random. You might say that these kind of like this blossoming or blooming is a random occurrence and eventually it just happens. But there are a lot of patterns and there are a lot of rituals related to getting yourself in a state in which you're willing to step up. And when you step up, it is an experience that you either learn from and you're willing to come back to, or it's something that is a huge hit and a success. And that's something that I've really been studying inside of the Leadership and Yoga podcast through the interviews and and also my own experience on what allows us as teachers and entrepreneurs in this field to thrive. And most of it starts long, long before we ever get onto the mat, but it can never take effect until we have that courage to step up. And I think that teaching yoga is really related to the game of life in general. You know, it's facing resistance, it's taking action, reflecting, and growing so that you can serve at a higher level. And that cycle just kind of repeats. The same goes with yoga-related offerings off of the mat. And that initial thing that's required, that stepping up, that happens in a split second. Um, I hear people say this all the time. Well, it took me many, many years just to get comfortable doing X, Y, Z thing. And it's like, no, actually, it, it didn't take you, let's say, three years to be ready to teach a yoga class. There was probably a three, two, one moment of a decision in time where you either said yes to sub a class or you said yes to an audition and you made a decision that you were going to show up and you were going to do it. And that's not to say that in that moment you're instantly changed and you're forever a different person and you're more confident and that decisiveness has been the magic ingredient to exponential success. But what does change in that moment is your expectation of yourself. And that's the power. That's the key. That flips on the moment that you commit. And I really want you to commit to your vision as either if you're a yoga teacher, if you're a you know practitioner, I want you to commit to your vision of what's possible for you of perhaps what you have to offer for the world if you're looking to to teach yoga or to expand your offerings because I know how hard it is to be stuck 
in this kind of gray area of inaction and feeling lost. And that's not to say that I've made it to my final destination by any means. You know, everything is always before completion, but I sure have a hell of a lot to share. And so that was kind of a long-winded way to say this, but many of you probably know cohort two of Off the Map Mastery is going to be starting January 22nd. And you are still on time to ask your questions. I'm going to leave the link for more information in the show notes just because I've described the program in detail before in other episodes. So go ahead, read up on it there. But uh, the reason that I really created Off the Map Mastery is because I want you to ask your questions, to connect with like-minded individuals, to be pushed, to be inspired, and also to inspire others and to step up and provide the value that you already have to this group. And whether that's, you know, you wanting to step up and gain the confidence to teach your first yoga class or just feel more confident teaching and finding your voice as a teacher or uh, getting on client calls with ease, showing up to host your first retreat or weekly on your new podcast. Maybe you want to start a new podcast. Uh, There's really nothing like it. Don't ever underestimate the power of a group of like-minded individuals and this kind of cross-pollination of ideas and also a roadmap uh, from somebody who's done done the things that you're looking to do. And so that's all I'm going to say on that. A little bit of a detour, but really important to me. So calling all yoga instructors, uh, calling all instructors who are, maybe you're in a, a YTT or you're going to be getting in a training or maybe you work in a parallel industry or field or in charge of a a brand that is heavily wellness or yoga related. I'd love to have you inside of this offering. I hope to see you inside. So let's get back to it. What is yoga? How do you even answer this in one concise sentence that doesn't sound like complete gibberish? The first thing that I want to say about yoga, what I think is the most important concept to grasp about about yoga, and this is all in my opinion, right? So this is all filtered through my perspective, uh, my experience and my studies, but yoga clears space within your life. It's not another thing to add onto your to-do list, but instead of that, it is a lens through which you do everything. It's a new opening. It's a new focus. It's kind of like a pillar around which everything else that you do is going to fill in. And so that's why when you are involved in a yoga practice, it has the ability to change every single other aspect of your life because it changes how you're processing things. It changes how you're reacting to things. And it eventually has the power to really change the way that you're living. And I know that sounds like an exaggeration because you're like, this is just a fitness class thing that I went to, right? But um, that is just scratching the surface, right? So we'll get into all of this different information on energy shifts and our outlook and our perspective, but think of it as a, a tool that clears space. And from that new state, just everything that, that you create is different and that is unique to you. So that's not to say that as a yogi, everything that you create will is is going to be beautiful in this particular way because it's going to be the yogic way. So that is what I mean to say is that it's a, a unique blossoming that is 
completely individualistic and it might be a similar path, but the destination will likely look different because we are all different. All of our paths and purposes are all different as well. The other definition of yoga that I think has um, been really helpful for me and helpful for others is that it's a set of rituals that live inside of you no matter what happens. I encourage you that if you don't have a definition of yoga yet, maybe jot one or two of these down. You can jot them all down and circle whichever one resonates most deeply for you. But uh, I like this one of a set of rituals that live inside of you because that at the end of the day is the goal. The goal is to not keep you coming back forever and ever uh, stuck trying to gain something from a studio and always needing a teacher. Really what I hope for you is that yes, you learn from teachers and you'll continue to learn from people your entire life. But at a certain point, all of those teachings and all of those flows and the the physical practice of yoga will begin to live within you. You might notice it in just the simplest moment where you're at the airport and you decide to stretch and the stretching feels nice. So then you, before you know it, you're kind of doing like a little flow on the floor there. And that's when you know the yoga, bu- the yoga bug is starting to bite because you're starting to enjoy weird stretching in public or you don't even care about sitting and meditating with your eyes closed and people wondering what you're doing. So it's also kind of, uh, well, it's not kind of, it is absolutely a training of your awareness. That's another definition that I like is a training of our awareness and connection to your spiritual and your energetic body. So maybe this will help. What do you feel like right now is missing? And I I know that's kind of like a existential question to ask you, but really like what, don't you ever feel this like sense of hollowness even within busyness or a sense of loneliness within busyness or maybe a sense of stagnation, a sense of feeling empty or disconnected? And whether that's related to community for you or purpose within your work or lack of understanding of who you are when you take away your title or when you take away all of the characteristics that you use to describe yourself. Like if I were to take away yoga instructor, take away uh, female, take away whatever XYZ adjectives that I use to describe myself, who am I? Like what's, what's really me underneath it? That's the study. Like when you start to really ponder that, that's when you begin on the yogic path of discovery. And so what I like to think about then is like, how would you like to enjoy your practice? What elements, like what emptiness, what holes, what questions are you trying to fill? And how can you use yoga as a tool for self-discovery? So that's why I kind of like to think of your yoga practice as like, how will you take your yoga practice? Like, how will you take your coffee? Will you take your coffee strong and black without any uh, sugar or cream? Or would you like mostly milk in your coffee and just a little splash of coffee because it's it's otherwise it doesn't it doesn't sit well with you um that's the way that i would think about your yoga practice if i were you the actual technical meaning of yoga is often described as the stilling of the fluctuations of your mind and so there it is again it's mind training at the end of the day 
Um, but I don't really feel like that kind of flowery language and you can go and you can read the yoga sutras. I think that they're really helpful for everybody to read at one point, but make it make sense for you and take your time to really understand it without just reciting fancy things. That's what I'll say on that. That's my two cents on what yoga is. Moving on. Okay. You will experience difficulty in the beginning. Absolutely, entirely true with anything, especially with yoga in the physical practice, because it's a concrete thing that you can feel, observe, and notice the clunkiness, the resistance, the heaviness, the stiffness, anything that you may be feeling. So the number one tip that I'd give you here is lower your barriers barriers to entry. This is something that I've mentioned in other episodes and other contexts, but what it might look like for you is making sure that your yoga clothes are laid out the night before, or even if you're going to be coming home from work, they're set out where you can see them and you have as little resistance as possible in terms of everything is ready to go for you. Maybe you even have your snack, like you put a a banana and some pecans or whatever. I, I love eating pecans before practice. Not right before, but whatever that like little snack, um, nice little package for yourself is so that you know that all you got to do is you got to get up, put on those clothes, have your snack, sit and relax a little bit, and then you're going to go to practice. And that just is what it is. We all have what is called a go point and your go point might be in the morning, the minute that you sit up and turn off your alarm because you know you're you're not going to go back to bed because you're going to oversleep or it might not be until you have quite literally put your shoes on your feet and at that point, you're not going to take off your shoes and and go sit back down. Probably you're going to go, you're going to walk out the door. So whatever it takes to get yourself to your go point, that's what you want to make easy for yourself really. Once you get there, once you get on your mat, you know that uh, once you get moving, you're going to feel better and it's not going to be as hard. We think that we have to fight ourselves for the entire 30 minutes that we're getting ready and the entire hour that we're going to be practicing, but that's not true. It's usually just difficulty in the beginning, right? It's just the first few minutes of getting warmed up, of activating your muscles, getting in tune with your breath and kind of just redirecting, redirecting your mind back into focus. And then something kind of gives up and it and it connects and it says, ah, okay, we're here. We're doing this. We're focused. We're ready. You're also going to want to change feelings of intimidation into inspiration. I know that's not an easy ask, but only you can control this because you cannot change the way that teachers teach. You cannot change the ability of the practitioners next to you or the other students in class and really recognize that seeing people do well is a good sign. People want you to succeed. This is not a competitive sport, really. It's not. So you don't have anything to lose. And if you're around people who have a strong practice, great, because that energy and that enthusiasm for the practice is like a nice cloud of of energy right next to you. So it's not an intimidation cloud. It's an inspiration cloud. And I've told the story before, but the very first class that I took as as a big kid of yoga, the teacher taught Pincha Mayurasana, which is like the forearm stand with the scorpion legs, by the way. So it was a 
big no for me because I couldn't even touch my toes. It was very inflexible, um, did not have a lot of upper body strength. But thank goodness, I don't know how or why, but the feeling that I walked out of that class with was inspiration and admiration for the ability of her to do that, that thing that I I didn't know was possible for my body. And I wasn't really sure if it was possible within my body either, but I was very determined to find out how far I could get or what else might happen along the way. And of course, now that you're you're listening to me, that's another thing that happened along the way. So even if I never would have been able to do the pincha, the pincha mayurasana, um, I'm very glad that it left me with a sense of inspiration. So it's not about conquering, right? It's about maintaining a sense of inspiration and sticking with it and having the patience to see it through because we get so, we, we often quit things just as it's getting good because it's like stagnant below the surface and we can't see that the seed has sprouted and it's about to come through and we get so impatient and tired and burnt out that we quit the thing and we jump to another thing that we think will do better. And there's a quote that I really like, actually Adam Hustler said it on this podcast and the interview can go back and listen to his episode. It's a great one, but he said that everything takes a year and or a year minimum right give it a year and so that's what i'll tell you about your yoga practice give it a year really if you feel the the draw and the whisper to continue or to start or to deepen your practice give it a year and and then we'll talk that goes as well for not forcing different areas of your body to open up especially shoulders uh low back knees the more that you uh really force areas of your body that you feel frustrated with, the more they're going to resist probably because a lot of it has to do with our nervous system and things that we're not used to. And you're also at a much higher risk of injury and only you can prevent injuries within your body by being aware enough and and noticing them when they start to just twinge. And it doesn't mean like freaking out and never wanting to have a sore muscle. You know, I know you know, If you, when you're paying enough attention, you know the difference between a twinge of pain and just the discomfort or like the fear of working hard. So that's what I'd encourage you to keep in mind. Moving right along here, keep it simple. Please, please, please keep it simple in anything that you're trying to learn and do. You don't need a hundred best strategies or a new flow. And that is such a trap that we fall into because here's what's happening, at least what I see in the social media world. Everybody's trying to reinvent the world, the wheel, and everybody is trying to come up with the next best thing and the thing that's going to captivate interest and come train with me because. I do it this new way or this better way. And yes, there are developments that happen, but a lot of times this is an old tradition, right? And you're going to be, it's science, right? You're going to open areas of your body. You're going to progress by following simple principles. And so I think that your focus is the most important resource. It's not getting distracted by trying to do absolutely everything and always thinking that the grass is greener on the other side, that if you could just get the next best tip or the next best 
quick fix for does XYZ thing hurt in your body? Try this, you know, and some of those are helpful, but they're not helpful if they're just saved like a hundred of them on a folder and you try none of them, right? So quality over quantity is absolutely key. A couple of practical notes now. I'm actually excited for this one because these are the things that I, um, I feel like we all learn. It's not that we learn the hard way, but we learn by experience and the things that kind of throw people off potentially when you go into a yoga room. And keep in mind, there are so many different traditions, so many different yoga room traditions. Mine are going to be much more based in an Ashtanga practice, although I would consider myself very progressive. But um, this is like the things that I see people doing that you know, sometimes I do chat with them about it, but also don't want to offer advice in areas that it's not wanted. So if you want advice on practical things regarding feeling comfortable in your yoga class, here we go. Number one, if you can, no socks, take take off your socks, let your, let your feet be free. Um, there's many reasons why one would want to keep on their socks, but part of the experience is standing barefoot on a mat around other adults waiting for this giant lead sort of game of Simon Says where you're led through different movements. I know it's weird. I know that your feet might not be used to being free in public. You might not have had a pedicure for the last three weeks. It doesn't matter. Like we've seen it all. I actually, I don't care. Like (laughs) What I care about is that you're not slipping around and that you're comfortable. Um, in general, get used to being weird. Get used to trying things in your yoga class and doing different movements with your body that you don't know if you can do or not. You don't know how they're going to look. Trusting that the more you get over the discomfort of kind of the weirdness of it all, the more that it's going to start to flow for you. Here's another one please no chugging water during practice. It doesn't mean you can't take a sip of water. I think that, of course, you know, if you have a a dry mouth or a dry throat or something, a little sip of water is fine. But we always have water bottles all around the class. A lot of them are metal, which is great, reusable, but they inevitably get knocked over. Uh, They're just another like thing that you're managing when all you really need is your body and your mat. And so, even when I'm teaching, I actually use a, a, a mug so that I um, I sip a little warm water and, and tea as I'm, I'm talking, but I'm also not chugging out of a water bottle because I'll see people with water bottles filled with ice and just like chugging that ice cold water. And it's like, where is that water going to go within the next 20 minutes left in class? Like if you're dehydrated at this point, then that's already a problem like that for the next class you could solve earlier in the day. Um, so that's just a little thought. Maybe try it, especially if you're used to chugging water, like when you get tired or kind of using it as a reason to stop and to break your flow. Maybe you challenge yourself and see, can I get through class without you know, chugging water here and there? And what do I need to do to make that a, a, an experience as possible for me? Uh, Another thing is that I highly recommend that you stagger your mat with the person next to you. I wish that this was a common practice. I try to move mats for students whenever I can, but that way you're not worried about hitting someone. So like if their mat is, you know, right up here, you might stack yours a little bit further in front on the side, or you might bring it back down a little bit behind them. 
Other things, real rapid fire here, bring a towel, like at least a face towel, because you never know what you're getting into with yoga. And it's really distracting if you're slipping all over the place and you need something to to dry your hands and have a suitable mat. You don't need something fancy, but um, you also don't need the latest thing here too. So like I've had the same mat since 2016, right? It's been fine. It's a manduka mat. Um, I'm not going to give like specific mat recommendations because it's just not, um, I, I haven't really put together all my thoughts on it, but I'll tell you the qualities that I would look for and what I would avoid. The real thick mats that are squishy and foamy that kind of like stretch when you do a lunge on them. Those are a eh, do not, do not buy, do not bring. They might feel nice and padded under your knees, but it is not going to be worth it. You're not going to be able to feel like um, steady in your practice. And then also a mat that's so thin or like that rolls up when you're doing your um, flows through your vinyasa and your happens a lot through like upward facing dog into downward facing dog all of those things yes you can like you could practice on a beach towel if you really wanted to right but at a certain point it's like let's become more in touch with what's ideal for our practice and a lot of times a mat that's like rolling up is also not going to be super effective so think about that and no fancy gear is needed you know um my ladies i'm talking to you all and myself because i too love cute little low-cut yoga tops but bring the high top back like if if your if your attire is going to be distracting to you then wear something else so that you can really focus and work your ass off. Because I don't know about you, but I cannot focus and work my ass off when I'm every 10 seconds having to check and like pull up my shirt or like fix my pants. And um, so whatever, it doesn't have to be cute. Make it practical. Make it practical. Okay. Yoga is a ritual. This is something that I do believe that I first heard from well, the main idea of the the idea came from one of my teachers, Troy Lucero, and I love it so much because so often we're thinking about what can we get out of yoga? Like what can we change about ourselves? What can we grow? What can we strengthen? What can we fix? What can we heal? And we forget that yoga is fun. There's joy in yoga. There's joy in just the doing of the yoga for itself in the same way that you might go skiing just for the joy of the skiing itself. You're not going skiing to get in shape. I mean, maybe you are, but you're enjoying that. And so you can think of yoga in the exact same way and taking it even one step further. If you you train for something like skiing, I, I do a lot of water skiing, so I might train and do um, squats or I might do upper body work, but that training can be done also for yoga. So something that I really like to encourage people to do who are serious about seeing advancement within their practice is that, yes, you can weight train, you can run, you can do any of these other things that you want to do alongside yoga. Yoga doesn't need to be something that you're going to as your way of getting fit. In fact, it might be, like I mentioned, the lens or the new way of living that enables you to pick up patterns and rituals and habits that allow you to find success in those areas of your life, like 
developing a, a healthy eating habit or cutting back on smoking or drinking or getting to the gym as often as, as you would like to. But think of the yoga in itself as a ritual first before anything that can bring you joy and really is enjoyable. A lot of people also ask me this one, which is, when will I experience the effects? Like, I want to feel, I want to feel the yoga magic. And I think that you don't necessarily feel the yoga magic until the yoga bug has bit. And that depends on, some people go to their first class and feel very hooked. You might not feel hooked until you find the right teacher, or you might not feel hooked until your practice feels like something uh, that is a flow state for you. I think that flow state is a key form of enjoyment and that's really focused attention is what flow state is. And flow state can be found, as I mentioned, in things like skiing and riding and playing ukulele in going out on a walk, um, dancing, any of those things. And so when you start to find the flow state and the ease, uh, that's when I think that the yoga bite or the yoga bug really does bite. So maybe after a couple months of consistent practice for me, even if it was just one one time per week on the weekend, which is what I was doing back in high school because I played uh, con competitive sports and ran cross country and basketball and pole vault and all that stuff that I only really would go on the weekends on a Saturday or Sunday. I don't remember. But after doing that for a couple of months, then it turned into like when summer hit and I was able to take the time, I would go every single day that I could, I would go and, and do yoga. And that might be entirely different for you. I will say that the effects that I want to talk about today are going to be body control. We'll call it there's kind of as a broad theme and also flexibility. Flexibility is a big one that folks want to know about, but I want to start with body control. Body control depends a lot on what else you're already doing, but it's so worth developing if we are going to look at yoga in terms of what you can get from it and what you can experience from it, I would say body control has got to be up near the top of the list because everything else that you do comes with more ease when you truly know your body, whether that's just the mind-body connection of how your movements work. Uh, you get much more intuitive, much more in touch with the sensations within your body. And a lot of us are asleep to so much of the capabilities of our body. If you've ever seen somebody do like Nali Kriya, and if you don't know what that is, you can Google it. It's N-A-U-L-I and then Kriya is K-R-I-Y-A. And just look at that and see, like, did you know that that was a possibility? Like, did you know that your stomach could do that? My thought is probably not. I mean, I didn't before I was exposed to the yoga world. And those are like the kind of things which is like if we're living in the, the house of our body, why would we not explore all the rooms possible? We might not even have time to get to all of them, but I'd rather know at least two or three more and discover, you know, like I, I don't know if I'm going to go to every country in the world, but I definitely want to go to as many as I can and keep discovering, keep enjoying. And I think it can be the same thing with our bodies. I also remember just talking to my dad about yoga um, earlier on because some of you might not know this, but well, the first person that took me to a little kid's yoga class was my mom, but my dad and I used to go a lot. And 
that was like when I was in my big kid stage and was really getting hooked on it. But we were talking about how it's like once you understand like a warrior three and how you can extend your leg back, then it's before you before you uh, know it, you're around the house cleaning things. And as you're reaching forward to something, you're lifting your back leg and counter and then you just so much more efficiently pick it up and everything is easier. Everything is is done with much more ease. Um, it's not as hard. I actually heard this the other day from somebody who went through a big change and became much more athletic in their life, saying that it literally feels like they exist in a world where there is less gravity because they feel so much stronger just walking around, just going through life. They don't feel so heavy. They don't feel like everything is so hard to move and that their own body is so hard to move because now they've developed a different body control. Um, so let's talk about flexibility. With flexibility, you know, this is a science one as well. If you consistently five to six times per week stretch, and I'm talking like actually stretch, not sit on your phone and like kind of half-ass a stretch, like actually feel the stretch, 15 minutes, let's say you want to do the splits and you do a lunge, um, like a low lunge, stretch out your hip flexor, and then you do a half split, like a like a runner stretch, and you hold both of those and you do both legs after you've been warmed up, you are going to notice change. Like COC, <laughs> like 100%, you're, you're going to, to notice the difference. And that will depend, again, where you're at. But all I can tell you is that start now and tell me in a year from today how you're how you're doing and how it's going because uh that was my journey i think that it was probably did take me about a year to be able to do the splits from not being able to really touch my toes so but that's again like with really good consistent training you don't need every new technique in the world you just need to consistently hit and actually feel the stretch you know get to your edge without pushing so far that you injure yourself experiencing energy shifts. This is maybe one of my favorite aspects, subtle aspects of the yoga practice. And I'm going to describe it to you in terms of being asleep to, or even just sleepy to buzzing with energy without not like a caffeine buzz, right? Like some other kind of aliveness, awakeness within you. For example, like a perfect, perfect example of this kind of thing is that the other night I was very tired. I'd worked like 12 hours and I'm working through this Tony Robbins program with my husband, Simone. And we're both just like, okay, we're sticking with this. We're going to sit down and we hit play. And then the words and like the power of Tony Robbins and like the exercise that he had us do with breath work, um, it was just so intense and so expansive that it was a huge energy shift. I literally went from like feeling like I was going to fall asleep with my posture kind of like this, like rounded down to sitting up straight without even trying, breathing fully, completely awake, excited about life. And that's the power of when you find a yoga class or you find a style of yoga that speaks to you is that when it's speaking to you and when you're experiencing it, how you feel after the class, yes, you may be super sweaty, you may be super tired in terms of like you worked you worked your ass off, um, but 
your energy is going to shift. And there's a big contrast between doing something out of obligation and kind of feeling bored. And like maybe you're practicing and you're like looking down and you see some like hairs on your shirt. And so you just like pick them off and you're not really listening to the teacher because maybe either what they're saying doesn't resonate with you or their tone of voice isn't captivating. And so for me, like what I'm really, I've found that I'm drawn to is I like the Tony Robbins style. I like the Wim Hof. I want to feel moved. I want it to be like, here we go. So now we're going to do this. And I, I like to feel held and like led fully. And maybe you, you work a lot better with like a softer touch. It just depends. But you also have to hold yourself accountable. If you want to experience the energy shift, you got to be there focused in a way that somebody who does experience energetic shifts from yoga would be, which is not distracted and playing with your Apple watch. By the way, that should be another one like phones and and Apple watches away in the in the cubbies. Oh my goodness, no flipping to see like what the time is or any of that sort of stuff. It's like it's a sacred space, and that actually gets me right into I love that right into my next one, which is treat your practice time as sacred time. You know how when we see something truly remarkable, we kind of whisper in front of it. It's like we're whispering in the presence of true greatness or in front of awe. Maybe it's like you've walked up and it's a, a beautiful waterfall that you've just hiked up to. Why is it that we whisper in those moments? I can't help but thinking it's like we don't want to disturb it or we don't want to pollute it. We want to get the full essence of it. We want to respect it maybe. And that's how I think we can think about our yoga practice as well. It's a sacred time. It's a sacred space. And that doesn't mean that you can't put loud, crazy music. Like I'm the first person. Like I'll, I'll love a, on Fridays having a little reggaeton music in class or having um, intensity and having loudness and making it a community space. And it doesn't mean we need to be quiet like in a temple, but it does mean respect. And with the respect, I think it comes this this focus, this attention without interruptions, with with making yoga for that hour the most important thing to you. And so I think that that idea gets translated really comically a lot of times in yoga classes, which is like, forget the outside world, like forget it all. Like no matter what's happening, if everything is bad, just don't think about it. It's like, I understand what we're trying to say, but that comes across to people like, okay, well... <laughs> easy for you to say, right? But the idea of it is giving it your undivided attention and not getting up in the middle of it to do something else. So like if you're going to be practicing at home, this is a really big one. Commit to if the video is 40 minutes long, you're going to do 40 minutes of yoga. You're not going to get up and pause or even like use the bathroom before. Treat it like treat it like what it is which is meant to take you on a journey. And if you don't have time for all 40 minutes, then do a shorter one, do 20 minutes. But I think that we often, um, what happens is that we slow down when we get into our yoga class. And finally, now that we're not blasting ourselves with all these different inputs and information, what happens? Well, we start getting a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts because you're allowing yourself the space and yes, it can be super tempting. Um, I was actually just talking to somebody else on this podcast about this, where it's like big 
realizations happen when you're in a yoga class and it can be so tempting to like get up and run and like take action or realize you completely forgot a super important thing and to stress out about it the entire time. I would encourage you to train yourself not to do that and to just come back to the practice. If that is really impossible, have a blank, like an absolutely blank notebook and you can just scribble down a note or two so that way you can get things out of your head and they'll be there for later because I understand that a lot of us as creatives right we want to capture our ideas and we don't want to let things kind of slip through the cracks okay we're on the home stretch maybe three left now and this one is really important you need to set aside time to break the conditioning of how you are living and so this whole theme of conditioned cycles conditioned patterns is also really what yoga is about when you look at what's the purpose behind it and even in um, the ashtanga opening mantra which begins like one day it gets to this part that says samsara hala hala which is like asking, you know, can we be freed from these these conditioned patterns and cycles? And oftentimes, it's a good start to take an hour of your day to go to a yoga class. But I find, and this is why I'm so passionate about hosting retreats, and that's why my retreats are out of the country, because I experience this myself, right? When you're outside of the country, you're freed from your normal things that you have to do, and you also make this big commitment, like it's a it's a big chunk of time and, and it's a huge leap of faith, really. But you're going to do whatever you can in your power to be there. It's not the same level of commitment to sign up for a yoga class that has like a late cancellation fee as it is to sign up for a retreat and go and to put that in your calendar and to take the time off work to do it. And I highly, highly recommend that you do that. It doesn't mean you need to do it right now don't stress out about it but that is a way of opening up the door for greater greater nervous system shifts for a new kind of focus from almost like a cutting free of all of the things that you feel like you have to be and an opening to something bigger to something greater and on that note um, I actually have my next retreat coming up in Rio Chiripo in May uh, 9th through 13th and the whole topic of it is connecting to your creativity and to your confidence through immersion in nature and daily practice. Even if you never come on a retreat with me, um, I of course appreciate you being here regardless and I will also recommend that you be super selective right on how you choose to spend this time and to have this immersion. And I know it because, I mean, I've experienced it myself. And so that's why these are really sacred, important things for me that I put so much. It's basically like every time I host a retreat, it's my entire life's work <laughs> packaged up and put into these breakthrough sessions. Um, it's much beyond just a deep dive into the practice. It's, it's really me showing up to serve at my highest level as a as is my co-host uh, Katie Williams so however that's going to look for you right now but think about this concept of taking time to escape 
the conditioning, whatever that conditioning is. It's like all the things that you have to do or all the things that you're constantly worried about, right? We, we can't solve a problem. This is one of my favorite quotes by um, Einstein. I think it is. Yeah, it's by Einstein. That's you can't solve a problem from the same state of consciousness that created it. it it's like it takes us moving and like setting that, that problem down coming back to it after we're able to get to a different state of mind and looking at it then. Okay. So here we go on the different styles of yoga and then we'll wrap it up. There are so many different styles of yoga that I kind of like to think about them as different accents or even different languages because they vary so intensely and you can choose to be fluent in as many of them or as few of them as you want. But you're going to want to learn to read the room and not feel stuck to doing something some way just because that's the way that you have always been doing it with the first teacher that you always had. Like be open, try. Um, this happens to me all the time because I practice Ashtanga and Rocket on my own and I go and take a vinyasa class. Like I don't need to just be like doing everything the Ashtanga while to the Ashtanga way to make a point. And also when folks come in that are used to vinyasa, hey, try it, try it this way. Why not? Like, why not put your hand outside of your knee instead of inside of it? Just see how it feels. You're never gonna know. And one little note too on different styles is that please don't trust teachers to prevent your injury. And I know, I, I wish I could say, like we could actually prevent your injuries and there are cues and there's strategy to cueing that will help with that. But there are, you know, of course, dangerous moves as well that deserve extra caution and it, the teacher should mention it. But you have to be your own advocate even with a teacher who is super experienced with spot on cues, there's actually a really increased danger in kind of you as a practitioner, just not listening to your own body and just following the, the teacher who you feel like is all knowing because at that point, like you've given up your control. And this has happened to me, like the time that I've been very injured, um, injured my knee about a year and a half ago was because of that sort of behavior on my part as a practitioner of like taking immense trust in the teacher over even what I was feeling in my own body. So please don't rely on the cues of teachers to prevent your injury. Listen to yourself. And also, if you're not loving a class, um, I should have said this earlier. I think I did talk about it earlier. Yes, sometimes we fall into this kind of trap of like the grass must be greener on the other side. If I can just get to the correct thing, like it's everything is going to be solved. But if you're not loving something, try a different studio, try a different class, try a different teacher. I think it's absolutely crazy and hilarious. The, the things that like people's willingness, I should say, to try a class called yoga, like <laughs> like even if it's just at a you're on vacation it's like yoga sunrise yoga what <laughs> it could be literally anything it could be so many different things it's absolutely wild you don't know what you're gonna get and I actually think that on this note like making yogi your identity or telling me that you are a yogi is like telling me you're a human I'm like great <laughs> you live on planet earth also I know nothing about 
anything else regarding your beliefs of style and um, there's so many conflicting viewpoints within yoga that I just feel like people go in circles wasting time over differences that will take you in a similar path. So the unifying factor for me, as I mentioned, and what yoga is, is that it's a training and awareness, right? But here is a list of common types of yoga and a very brief description of them. So that way, if you're looking at a class schedule and you see these different names, you'll at least have kind of an idea. So the most common overall, I would definitely say is vinyasa yoga. And if you look at what the word vinyasa means, it quite literally means to place in a special way. This is often considered one of the most athletic forms of yoga. It's also what I would consider one of the most variable in terms of teachers are creating their own sequences. You might see a pose and then never see it again for many months. Um, you don't know exactly what it's going to be. I don't mean that in the, like, that sounds almost like a negative thing. It's good. Like it's, it's where your source of variety comes from. And it did actually develop as an adaption from Ashtanga. People aren't exactly agreeing upon when, but somewhere back in the in the 80s, right, it became popularized as what it is today. And kind of like 1A, section 1A of this will we'll say power yoga, also an offshoot of Ashtanga. And it's really used as a term to describe rigorous uh, vinyasa styles. You can often rep uh, find repeating sequences within a power class and quick, I would say quick, pretty snappy movement. Again, it depends on the teacher, but that's something that um, I would be prepared for if I were to take a power class. Hatha yoga. So Hatha in general is actually an umbrella term for all different forms of the physical asana yoga practice. And when you see it on a schedule, what you can expect though is longer holds in general and actually getting a good breakdown of what each of the postures are. So it's less about kind of like the dance of moving repetitively through the postures like vinyasa might emphasize and more about the, the holding of and the structure of the postures himself. And so Hatha yoga was actually my background. Um, one of the things I practice pretty extensively. And if you're looking to get a deeper understanding of different postures, it's a, it's, it's a great place to, to look, you know, it might not have like that magnetic flow. Um, it still does flow, but it's, um, it's a good pace for beginners. Absolutely. Okay. Iyengar yoga in short, think alignment and focus on detail, um, precision. And, you know, as I say alignment, please note that every single one of these practices have disagreements in terms of should the spine be straight or should you round down here? So alignment as is true to the Iyengar yoga. It's um, it's good to know, right? It's good to, to try it out and to see what is going to work best for you. Ashtanga yoga. So in um, Ashtanga yoga really translates to the eight limb path. And so it is a lot more than just the physical sequence as all of these are, but it is a set sequence. So what that means is that there, the, the ritual is the same every single time. There are different series though. And the way that it was originally practiced is that you would get only one 
or a couple postures assigned at a time. And you would work through those on your own um, under the supervision of the teacher. And only once you had mastered those were you able to move along in the sequence. And so you might be hung up and stuck on a particular posture for a long time. And that has kind of changed now. It's generally that if you know how to approach the posture, uh, then you're able to move on in the sequence. But the whole idea of a Mysore practice, which if you see that on a schedule, it's not super common, but this is where everything that I learned about alignment and also assisting as a teacher came from Mysore practice because it's self-guided, which can sound really scary, but this is wonderful because then you have a sequence or multiple sequences eventually just kind of saved into your brain that you can pull out at any moment and practice. You don't need a video. You don't need anything. Um, you know what you have to practice. And then there's lead classes. And generally speaking, it's assumed that you know the sequence if you're going to take a lead class. So the very traditional way of doing things is literally counting in Sanskrit and saying the words in Sanskrit. And there's not as much cueing or description of what you're doing. That depends. Um, I'm also not saying to not try it because I actually took my first lead class completely thrown in the deep end. And I remember never having felt so defeated <laughs> and so, like, so tired because it's an hour and a half long in my life, but I felt so much intrigue and so much fascination with uh, being in a room of people moving in synchronicity where everybody is on the same page about things. So it can be a really fun experience. On that note of um, set sequence classes, we have also the hot yoga or Bikram style yoga, hot 60, often not called um, after him anymore, just after the, the lawsuits and really... Uh, intense harassment lawsuits and everything that happened within that community. But this takes place in a room that is hot like a sauna, like literally hot. You're not going to be flowing through a bunch of vinyasas and push-ups. You're already so warm that it's it's quite intense. You know, there's strength building and stretching, but it's again, it's the same exact thing every single time. So you know exactly what the sequence is and um, it does not change few more here, yin yoga. Uh, yin yoga is the slow paced style of yoga and it's a lot of seated postures, longer holds, good for unwinding. Then we have kundalini yoga. Um, kundalini yoga is definitely equal parts spiritual, I would say, as it is physical. And it's about releasing the kundalini energy, which is said to be, you know, coiled in the lower spine are trapped in the lower spine. And so it's an energetic focus on, on releasing the kundalini energy. Along that line as well, uh, tantra yoga, this will be the last one that I, I mentioned. Um, I think a lot of us just think of sex if you hear tantra, but it's, it's so much more than that. It's an ancient practice, super powerful combination of asana, mantra, mudra, bandha. Um, bandhas are the energy locks. And moving through the world with more confidence and more contentment. 
I lied because I'm actually going to mention one more that's been really important to my own practice recently, which is body and brain. It's a form of um, Korean yoga, actually, and it is sort of like a mixture between yoga and Tai Chi, definitely a lot of energetic practices and a big focus on energy circulation. You'll hear more from me on this soon, but I just want to drop the name there for familiarity. Finally, let's say that you want to do a teacher training someday or you want to know when is an appropriate moment to do a teacher training or what to look out for. Let me give you my two cents. And number one, I'm going to say, please do an in-person one. I did my first one online because it was during the pandemic and that was not my original intention. I'm glad that I did it because it got me teaching. So if you're really in a pinch, you know, I can't imagine, well, I don't want (laughs) to knock on wood. Let's say that um, you're able to do one, even if it's just on the weekends, but you're going to maintain working at your full-time job. I think that that's much better. So that way you can get the the physical, the the hands-on practice and you definitely want to make sure that the program has either been recommended to you by somebody that's gone through it and enjoyed it, or it's hosted by a teacher that you know and you like and you trust, or it's in a specific style that you are seeking more of because it is a lot of hours and they are it is the wild, wild west with with yoga teacher trainings. Like you can get as little out of it or as much out of it as you choose to. And really like what you're looking for when you come into a training is what you're going to find. So making sure that you come in with your intentions and your focus because it's one thing to to sit there and hear everything. And it's another thing entirely to actually put all of that into practice. So you could probably retake a 200 hour yoga teacher training like three to five times before grasping and really being able to remember everything and turn around and teach those things yourself. That is not to say that after one training, you're not ready to teach. I'm just saying that um, I would definitely recommend in person and I will forever, forever recommend the 200 hour that I did with Ashtanga Yoga Puerto Rico. And my teacher specifically was Manuel Oria. I have an episode with him as well. If you want to go back and listen to that, a lot of good tips on teaching specifically and key takeaways that I took out of that training. As far as when you're ready to do the training, you are only ready when you decide you're ready. And I I do recommend having a nice, strong base that's going to make it a lot, I would say, better for your focus because you're not going to be so overwhelmed by trying to learn all of the postures in your body. You can think more about your students. Like that's that's kind of the journey of teaching is knowing it so so deep within yourself that you're able to focus all of your energy outwards and to hold the role of a teacher with focus and actually seeing your students and and not worrying about how you look or you know if you're going to say this right or if you know this word in Sanskrit or any of that other kind of stuff. So I hope that this has been helpful for you today, whether you're just starting your yoga journey or whether you are a teacher yourself. Congratulations on continuing your journey and your commitment. If you have made it all the way to the end of this episode before I tell you the emoji that I'm going to tell you in just a moment, please remember to subscribe 
to rate my podcast. And if you can, pretty please share my podcast. It helps me keep this momentum rolling and keep this podcast growing. And if you made it all the way to the end of the episode now, send me the emoji of the little person meditating. It can be any of them that you choose and you can DM that to me at Shauna Crew, S-H-A-W-N-A-K-R-U on Instagram and I will give you a virtual hug, a pat on the back, a dose of motivation and momentum, high five and send you on your way. I'll see you in the next episode. Ciao, ciao.